Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Keep the text coming, 704-570-9610. Hit that follow button on social media, mainly the Wesson Walker page on Twitter or X, whichever you prefer, the WFNZ Twitter and Instagram page, at Wes Bryant underscore 72, at Walker Mail and at HTB underscore Josh on Twitter and Instagram as well. But now it is time for the campus. Kona. All right. We've gotten a couple of weeks up under. It's gotten to see these teams in some tough games and some not so tough games. But when you look over the landscape of the state of North Carolina, which teams do you feel or which team do you feel the most confident in thus far? We've got a lot of picks. You have Charlotte, Ab State, the Tar Heels, the Wolfpack, the Demon Deacons, lots of options. But Walker Mill, who do you feel most confident in thus far and why? feel pretty good about Duke being my answer. North Carolina has Drake May. Going to give them a chance in every single game. The defense, as we saw against App State, I don't think it's anything that you can trust at this point. Now, Jones Angel joined Mac and Bone and talked about how they had nine pressures, I believe, on App State's quarterback, but they also didn't get home, and they also allowed quite a bit of points. So it's not anything that I can trust outright, especially with the amount of of, uh, problems that they've had in the last couple of years. I'm going with Duke. If you look at what they've done to the first two weeks of the season, one Power 5 opponent, one preseason ranked opponent in Clemson, and one not so much, their defense is tied for eighth in the country when it comes to points against, only allowing seven points on average right now through the first two games. Their rushing yards, they've been running for a lot. They're 17th in all of college football when it comes to the ground game. Riley Leonard could play himself into a first-round pick at the end of the season. People are paying attention to him in that way. And the quarterback, so even if you're not throwing for a ton of yards right now, they're only 83rd in all of college football. We know just how good Riley Leonard is. And that defense can match up man-to-man. I love what Mike Elko brings on the defensive side. And it's something you could have seen coming with the success that he's had at previous stops. Duke is for real. They've earned the benefit of the doubt as far as what they did last year and then picked up on that momentum this season, Duke is the team that I feel the best about. Yeah, I'm going to go with you as well because we've seen them get the biggest win thus far, knocking off Clemson at home. This was a team that sat around all offseason, had to hear about how they weren't one of the better teams in the league. So this was a squad that came out and took it upon themselves to make everybody take notice. So I'm going to give them credit for that. Like you said, that defense, this is a Duke defense that we haven't seen in quite some time, even in a two-game span, be able to put together what they have because they're only giving up seven points a game, like you said, and that's against a Clemson football team that was coming in with all the expectations of what they were going to do offensively. Well, how many questions? 
questions do we have about the other teams? NC State, you still have questions about, especially offensively. North Carolina, you have questions defensively. If you just want to extend it to the Carolinas and talk about Clemson, yeah, we all know about the questions we have about Kate Klubnick, how fast they're going to pick up this offense from Garrett Riley, the skill positions. Wake Forest is an interesting team. It, it's They're just kind of sitting in no man's yeah. land right now because – they had some hiccups against Elon, but then they came out, and I thought it was a strong performance against Vandy. So they're a team that we're still kind of wait and see once they play a little bit better. I know Vanderbilt was in the SEC, but a lot of people, you know, Vanderbilt's not a team that first comes to mind when you talk about SEC football. So Wake is kind of a wait-and-see approach. They've been steady so far, so we haven't really got to see them be tested. Yet. And you can have questions about Wake. I don't think they're as big, but also it's just because I don't think Wake is as talented as Duke is, considering what they're able to do the last couple of years. And so Duke is the team. I feel pretty good about it as well. I mean, North Carolina's one that you could see continuing to win and then gain some momentum, especially with that offense, even without the wide receivers of what they've had in the last couple of years or so. Duke is the squad. Also adding the fact that they're number three in the ACC and pass efficiency defense. So I like that as well. Fiddy, do you have a vote for who you think is the team you feel most confident in thus far in the great state of North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think I would still lean North Carolina because I got the best quarterback, right? Like Duke has the best win, but how many teams would have beaten Clemson if they would have played that bad on the road in their home stadium? Like, North Carolina would have beaten Clemson if they would have played like that. But, yeah, but, but the defense was Yeah, and, and, and that's tough to go with hypotheticals like that because at the end of the day, they did something not a lot of teams in the ACC have done to Clemson in quite some time. And, I mean, a lot of teams have had chances. I mean, Carolina played what a lot of people thought was a down Clemson team in a neutral spot and wasn't able to get the job done. So I don't know that we could necessarily make that argument right here in this moment. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, did Clemson fumble the ball twice inside the five-yard I mean, line? It doesn't games? matter. No. Duke, Duke had turnovers they had to overcome as well. They got the win at the end of the day. They beat them 28-7. to Y'all weren't able to beat them, so that sounds like excuses to me. How is, could, it, how is, it, how is it an excuse? Well, I because y'all played Carolina, a down Clemson team and couldn't beat them. I could see North Carolina being better at the end of the season, but man, when you talk about North Carolina being able to beat Duke in week one. I mean, maybe, but I think that strips credit away from Duke's defense. They were locking those dudes up, and the skill positions, it's not like Bo Collins and Antonio Williams are fantastic, but also, we've talked about the lack of talent in the secondary for North Carolina for quite some time, and even in this defensive performance they had against South Carolina, it was all about the pass rush. Those dudes at Duke can cover, and that's exactly what they did while also providing some pressure against Cade. So to me, it strips all the credit from Duke's defense that I think Definitely. really applied a lot of pressure to that Clemson offense. All right. I wasn't trying to do that. I mean, Clemson didn't punt in the second half. They walked the ball up and down the field, and, you know, they, they, they really kicked themselves more in the foot. So I, How do you do well, that? Well, Duke forced some of those turnovers, though. You can't act like it was just all Clemson just walking around with yeah. the ball, and the ball just somehow slipped out. That fumble on the goal line, Duke's player's helmet, hit the ball that made it come loose on uh, Mafa. Yeah, so, I mean, if, yeah. If, if those fumbles don't happen, you know, Clemson wins the game. Okay, go. but Duke also had turnovers that they had to overcome as well, though. So yeah, that's the thing but, that kills yeah, me about people said, saying that. But that's why I said North Carolina because Drake May is not going to make those turnovers, right? Like, he like, made it in the ACC championship game yeah, when he threw I, a pick six. I still trust him more than I trust a Riley Leonard moving forward in big spots. Did he so, not throw a pick six in the ACC championship game? That was last year, Wes. Okay, but he still went against against Clemson 
and he made a critical mistake. Yeah, Riley yeah. Leonard did not. Yeah, but that game was at home. So you on can't a say what would have happened. Like you're trying to compare apples to oranges. Bottom like it was line, a different game. They, bottom line, they beat Clemson. Y'all didn't when you had the chance. At the end of the day, moving I, right along. Well, can I ask a question? I've been stuck on Fitty saying they kicked themselves in the foot. It's a figure of speech. Are you are you the <laughs> captain literal on a Thursday? I just want to examine that. Like, do you kick yourself? Because uh, I thought they were going to kick themselves in the bahuni or like I don't know. I was just. I didn't know if you could kick yourself in the foot. I'm sorry. All I'm right, so when we question. when we talk about uh, most valuable non-quarterbacks in the ACC so far, there's a lot of candidates, a lot of great players that are out there helping their respective teams. But I'm going to give some credit. I know a lot of people out there, they want to try to say that everything I say about the Tar Heels is biased. But so far, I'm going to go with Amarion Hampton. He's been spectacular. He's mm-hmm. number five in all of college football, the entire NCAA in rushing yards. He's also second in rushing touchdowns. He's off to a fantastic season so far for this young man, and I think that he was a key part. Now, you want to talk about if somebody didn't do this or that, they wouldn't have won. Without Omarion Hampton, you're not beating the App State Mountaineers on Saturday. He was big time for them, 230-plus yards rushing, a couple of scores on the day. Uh, I think he's really stepped out and looks like a star in the making. Omarion Hampton looks fantastic. I also think they have a lot of depth at that position, and so even if you don't expect British Brooks, who was out this game, to go over 200 yards, British Brooks still a very good player in the backfield. I'm going away from the running back group with North Carolina. Well, we know you hate running backs. With that, that's true. See, look at all. You're, you can't say I'm not biased. <laughs> I'm going to Marion. Fitty's uh, biased with North Carolina. Now, I buy, everybody's biased. I'm sticking with my point. Okay? okay this is what go. I'm doing. I just think Keon Coleman is that dude. I know yeah. they got Johnny Wilson, but... He also had big-time drops in that game against LSU. Florida State with Jordan Travis throwing him the ball, and it didn't matter what way he beat you. There were so many different avenues. It doesn't matter if it was going over the top, playing physical at the point of catch. Like, Keon Coleman is that dude to me. And so maybe they they have enough talent, like with Trey Benson and even Johnny Wilson, who I still like despite some key drops in that opener. They could probably get by some of the lack of production you might get from Coleman. But if I look at who I think is the best skill player in the conference right now, and I think that's Keon Coleman, that's the answer that I got to go with. Yeah, he's also the ACC's leading touchdown receiving target. He's I mean, that dude looked those. fantastic in yeah, that opening. He's sitting at 85 yards a game, but the number one receiving yards per game, I bet you probably never guess who's number one in receiving yards per game. I ain't going to try. It is Xavier Restrepo from the Cane. He yep, never would have got it. 97 yards per game. Fiddy, do you have a candidate for most valuable non-quarterback in the ACC so far? You want to go Hampton. Just say it. It's okay. I'm 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 gonna go with Duke's defense because you know they 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 forced they forced those Clemson <laughs> yeah. fumbles that helmet you know it just shined bright under the the, the biggest <laughs> night game in the history of Wallace Wade Stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, my God. No, nah, I mean, I the would, whole group, huh? I love it. <laughs> it's the most credit you're going to give them all year long. The reason why I'm hesitant to say Hampton is because it's one game. And, you know, like, who knows? Is he going to be the starter moving forward if British Brooks is healthy? We don't know. That's the reason why he got the workload that he got a week ago. And, and Keon Coleman, I mean, like, like Walker said, like, Johnny Wilson's legit. Like, he, he's, he's, a, he's, a stu- he's a stud. 
But Coleman just elevates that Florida State offense to another level, which is why I think they're the team to beat in the ACC. Can I ask this question about North Carolina's backfield real quick? Because yes. we've seen that they've had some talented running backs. It actually kind of a weird running back history. Like we've talked about this before. They've had some studs come out of Chapel Hill. They're not Michael Carter and Javante Williams, but do we have a shot to just have a crazy dynamic duo with North Carolina if you bring in Hampton going over 200 and then British Brooks comes back? Hopefully I mean, if British Brooks can stay healthy. Th right, but it even, I mean, even what? There's four guys that you trust in that backfield, Fiddy. I think that's what Flounder was talking about, too. Do you get anywhere close to a Javante-Michael Carter duo, or is that just, is am I reaching too you much could. on that? You could. I mean, those they're, two backs talented, were special, man. but you could definitely... Well, especially with Chip Lindsey, and especially with a commitment to run the football, I just wonder how close you can get to that kind of duo that we saw a few years back. All right, well, when we come back, the latest on the Brian Burns contract situation, that and a whole lot more. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. To Wes and Walker on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. People putting their thoughts on the text line regarding the college football conversation. 704-570-9610. People were writing about Fiddy and his takes on North Carolina, Drake May, Clemson, Duke's <laughs> defense. People were saying stop with the UNC propaganda. There are a lot of people, though. There, I mean, I don't want to say a lot. There are a few people that agreed with you, though, and I think they're Tar Heel fans, but that's okay. You had a couple of Heels fans on your side, and then uh, you had you were responding to somebody that talked about, uh, I think it was Big Cat Dan. That's right, Big Cat Dan and some Clemson fans. They were writing about how Wes and I were wrong about Duke's defense. Clemson killed themselves, and then you were right. Well, yeah, there's no telling him that. You know, <laughs> and I, I, there was that's a what happens to the text line for you sometimes. There's a few weeks ago, I tried to tell you about the beauty of nuance in sports radio. Right, right. It appears after the show, I got to sit you and Wes both down. Okay. And take you all to the school of Marlowe and tell you, you know, nuance does exist in sports talk radio. The school of Marlowe. Would you imagine that? No. I have a chalkboard. Yeah. Make y'all write sentences. I don't even know what kind of sentences he would make us write. Fiddy is the best. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's the G-rated version of Marlowe School. <laughs> I don't want to go to that one. There's another text from Rev Kev, and he said when we were talking about the NC program we're most confident in, he said my catamounts taken down Samford with 30. Okay. All caps, do not take this moment away from Western fans. We All actually, like 14 of them? We actually won a game, and we're riding this momentum. Book it. 
And then after we got through with the conversation, he said, y'all better give the catamounts their flowers or I'm going to make Walker ride the ricochet at Carowinds again. And I'm like, look, the ricochet is not the problem. It is deceiving. The ricochet is it is going to make you feel like you're falling uh, off of the edge. But the hurler is something I won't ride anymore. The ricochet is fun. It's deceiving. It's fun. The hurler. I'm not riding that. You immediately get a concussion as soon as you walk off that roller coaster. That's just how it is. We already had this Carowinds Carowinds conversation, and I'm not doing that anymore. So RevKev, there you go. The Catamounts, there you go. Smoke, they get some love when we talk about some of the more trusted college football programs. Do you trust them more than UNC, Fitty? I trust their band because their band is more popular, more wide known than their (laughs) football program. I trust their band, too. They do a pretty good job. All right, let's talk about the Brian Burns situation. Yes, it's ongoing. We actually have some updates from Jeremy Fowler and Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL analysts, writing about some of the main topics in the National Football League, like Aaron Rodgers, whether the Jets are going to be searching for a new quarterback after his Achilles injury, and they have a topic about what's the latest on the Burns situation and what could his contract look like after the Nick Bosa deal. Here's what Jeremy Fowler writes. After months of talking, the Panthers and Burns never got close on a new deal before week one. Fowler's sense is Burns, clearly frustrated, is now focused on putting up a banner season and worrying about his contract or even a new destination next spring. That's not to say the Panthers can't double back and try to renegotiate in this season, but both sides probably need a cooling off period at this point. Burns is set to become a free agent in March unless Carolina franchise tags him. This one is still puzzling. Burns is an elite talent, and it feels like it should have been done already. Graziano talked about how Burns is a good candidate to have the franchise tag placed on him next season. My question is, Wes, does this thing continue to get uglier and uglier and uglier as we go on? Or are we going to have a pause so things become stagnant? We don't have a ton of conversation about it this season because Carolina, Brian Burns, both parties just don't really negotiate as the season is going on. And then we have a real, it's it's like every day, next offseason. I mean, is this is that how it's going to work? Or do you think there's any way that they actually get something done before the end of the regular year? Um, At this point, I feel like that we could be heading towards a uh, franchise tag situation. Because I think that if he continues to play, not necessarily at the pace he's playing now, that's not to say he's going to have 25 sacks or whatever the case may be. But if he does have a tremendous season this year, the price is going to go up. And then you're going to get even closer to that money that Nick Bosa got that you probably don't want to pay right now. It's going to keep getting closer and closer towards that. So I think it's going to take a franchise tag and then down the line, maybe perhaps a trade. Because if you don't want to pay him now with the price being on the lower end, then I don't know what you do if this guy has, if we're sitting there midseason and he's got nine or ten sacks. Uh, eight, nine, ten games into the season, you're going to have to pay him close to Bosa money. There's, there'll be no question about it at that point. All right. So Graziano, in his last paragraph, wrote this. As for what the deal could look like, I doubt he gets Nick Bosa money, $34 million on per average, but he can maybe land something in the Joey Bosa neighborhood at 292 and there could be something in the 27, 28 million year per range in lines of, in, in the same line with guys like TJ Watt and Miles Garrett. And that one makes sense. So, look, 
It's been, I don't, it's been frustrating for me, Wes. Like sometimes what, what happens is we say, well, maybe he's worth 27 and a half. Ah, maybe he's worth 24 and a half. Like that stuff kind of gets lost. I, I don't think it's great radio, but for me, th- this is ultimately what it comes down to. If the report is true that Brian Burns was seeking 28 to $30 million, right? Let's go with 30. Cause I think Joe, if I'm not mistaken, when I heard the Mac and bone show, they were talking about Joe person reporting that Burns was asking for $30 million before the season. David Newton had it at about 28 Apparently, the Panthers were offering somewhere between 23 and 24 We could throw a bunch of numbers at you, right? Mm-hmm. $6 million is a pretty big difference when you're talking about multiple guys passing you on the list of highest-paid edge rushers. If you go down from 28 to, like, 23 now you're talking about multiple guys passing you. To me, Wes... This is why it falls on the Panthers, because I have to imagine that Brian Burns and his party would have compromised at some level just a tick south of 30 million at something like 28, 29. I I have to imagine that. Maybe I'm wrong. But if Carolina wasn't willing to go up to that range, then to me, it seems short sighted. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be a lot of people that write on the text line or Put something out there on Twitter. He hasn't given us elite production. I know Jack was just writing that. And he's not alone. A lot of people are saying hasn't given us elite production at that level. Okay. You are paying for what his ceiling could be in the future. And it's a risk. It's a risk. I'm not doubting that. But if you're Carolina, then you know how this thing works. If you have somebody as talented as Brian Burns is, then to me, okay, we'll give you something a little south of $30 but we're not going to dig our feet into the ground and say, we're staying right here below 25. Because to me, I never thought Burns is going to agree to something 25 or below a year. So Carolina needs to go up there a little bit. And I think you probably just in something that makes sense to me, you probably could have avoided 30 million per year. But if this thing continues on Wes, now the other risk here is allowing Burns to play. He goes out there. He doesn't get hurt. He goes for like 18 sacks, maybe even 15, something where you can feel his impact every single game, just like it happened in week one. And now you're talking about him delivering on this impact. And now Michael Parsons is extension eligible. So he's going to surpass Nick Bosa money because that's how this thing works. And instead of just taking care of, uh, instead of giving him a little bit more on uh, more money on the front end and dodging this ugly process, Instead of doing that, now it gets even uglier. If Burns was contemplating not playing this year, not on the franchise tag, then do you think Burns is going to play on the franchise tag? It just feels like this mess could have been avoided somehow, and it could get even uglier as we go on. Yeah, because if I'm not mistaken, the franchise tag is the average of the top five at the position. And so when you add Nick Bosa to the mix, that would make the edge rusher, defensive end, whatever you want to call it, number – at over $27 million. And then that doesn't even factor in the fact that Michael Parsons, he's got one year left on his deal, so you know the Cowboys are going to give him a new deal at the end of this season. And so the number is going to continue to go up. And as you said, if he hit one of those numbers, like you said, 15 to me is the magic number. But if he goes over 15, 
I mean, I, I don't know what you do at that point if you're Carolina. You really messed yourself up because if he goes over that number, he could really act a donkey and just say, hey, I'm just going <laughs> to sit out here and I'm going to wait because somebody else will pay me what you won't pay me. So just trade me so that I can get a new contract. And I think that's the risk that you run. And everybody keeps trying to say, oh, he's not Bosa. We know that. We and, he's know not that. Gonna get, and he's not going to get Bosa money, That's what I'm by saying. the way. He's not going to get that, but it's all about where you fall in. And as we said, when the top dog sets the market, to me, 30 to 34, when you talk about potential Brian Burns salary as opposed to Nick Bosa, that demonstrates enough of a gap between the two for me, $4 million. That tells me that Nick Bosa is that much better than you by the pay difference. But still, $30 million is something that's on the table for him. And if Carolina won't pay it to him, somebody else will. Yeah, I I think there will be. Brian Burns has a little bit of say in if he wants to. So does he want to go to a team that's willing to pay for how good he can be as a losing squad? For instance, you went over some of the teams with a lot of space. And there were a lot of teams that weren't very good. Do you want to make as much money as possible, which he very well could choose to do? All right, so Houston will pay for it, but they're not very good right now. And they're probably not going to be very good for a couple of years, right? There's still some baking to be done. (laughs) Houston and some of these other teams, maybe in Indianapolis, I don't know, right? I forget some of the teams that you mentioned, but they weren't very good when we got through that list Mm -hmm. a while back. There is an increasing chance, though, that Burns could go to a different team. They don't have him locked in yet. And if Scott Fitter and Samir Suleiman, the capologist over there with Carolina, and apparently Suleiman is, you know, rumored to be a hard negotiator. So if this thing gets as ugly as it has potential to do, then maybe Burns does play for another team. And at that point, Panthers fans would have a right to be pretty angry because you could have had Burns go to a different squad on a different contract and you could have gotten two first rounders in a second. So, okay, let's say they trade Brian Burns and they're able to recoup a couple of those assets, then it'll minimize the damage that could have been caused having not, you know, right? When you when you don't trade him the first time, you don't trade him for a couple first-round picks in a second, then how much can you make up on this potential trade when I guess he's going to make more money, right? Because the market continues to go up. Carolina Panthers fans will still be pretty angry if that's what it comes to. And then talk about edge rusher. As much as Justin Houston will help this year, as much as Derek Brown helps, Derek Brown is not going to ever get or have the potential to get 15 sacks, hell, even 12, that Brian Burns got last year. That's when it becomes a problem. And when you look at those numbers, it's just going to be the fact of, no, you can't go out, even if you get first-round picks back. If Burns has a huge season over 15 sacks, You can't just go out in the draft and just find a guy that can do that. If that was the case, they wouldn't be so coveted when you talk about pass rushes. So I think that uh, Carolina has a big decision to make here, but you have a rookie quarterback. So it's not like you're paying a ton of guys a ton of money. This should be a deal that should be done already. I don't know what's taking them so long. And it's just ridiculous that Brian Burns does not have a contract. I'm surprised. Everybody's surprised. You heard it. Graziano, Jeremy Fowler, they use those words. Joe Person, I think, is a little surprised that it's gotten to this point as well, hearing him a couple times on these airwaves. Let's go to the text line, 704-570-9610. So we have different schools of thought here, right? Reverend Urbatius. Saying, but most fans don't want to pay him from what I've gathered on here. I think it's 
for the most part, like at least from what I see, different interpretations. But I see some people that want to pay him. You know, Br- Brian. Yeah, I, I definitely see some. Brian is saying Burns has been consistently the most talented and impactful player on this team. Pay him now. Uh, you do have Boogie saying Boogie here. Pay the man. Uh, there are a couple people. You know, Reverend Herbaceous was saying he's overrated. Um, so it's a little 50-50 as far as what people want to do with Brian Burns. I'll say this, too. What's how much do you have to bring in the people part of this? If Brian Burns is out there practicing, because he was for the most part, there was a few that he missed, but if he's out there practicing, he's not sitting out like Nick Bosa was threatening to do. He didn't sit out the first game like Chris Jones did. He's not sitting out at all. He told you he's going to play the rest of the year. And I believe him. So if he continues to give you his time, and he's not really holding the Panthers' feet to the fire at this point by missing any time or anything like that, then how much do you view the Panthers needing to do right by him? And even if it's for a cynical approach of saying Carolina could show this, hey, we we negotiated in good faith with Brian Burns and we paid him because he was doing the right stuff. We'll do, do that to you as well, future free agent that we covet to bring on this roster. That's a great point that you bring up. Other players are going to look at this and say, man, are they going to take care of me? Because when you look at their payroll in terms of cap hit, they aren't paying anybody. Shaq makes 14. Taylor Moten makes 13. Well, Shaq and 14 is a good. 16. So I'm just saying, but as far as just having a lot of big money players on the team, so that's the thing that gets me. I just don't understand why this deal isn't done. And the thing that kills me, too, about these teams is, did you not know this was coming? Like, how did you not know Brian Burns? That's what it comes down to. That's what I'm saying. That, too, once Bosa's deal's done, you guys figure it out. Get the deal done. Like, what is the holdup? Yeah, the fact that both sides needing a cooling off period, as Jeremy Fowler puts it, I just don't know why. Why does Carolina need to Carolina's cool Carolina's being cheap. That's what it is. They're being cheap. They're trying to get by with that 23 to 25, and Burns is like, hell no. I get why Burns is is a little frustrated. I totally get that. <laughs> I know why he needs a cooling off period. But yeah, that's Car- what it is. They're trying to be cheap. Yeah, just trade them, right? Yeah. Unless, unless you just were willing to deal with all of this. I mean, I guess they could have foreseen, all right, look, we're not going to give them over $25 million. But we know it's going to be an ugly process. Eventually, we'll bring him down to what we want. Maybe this is their line of thinking. Mm-hmm. And he'll come down closer to what we want and will not take on these first round or second round picks that are being offered to us. The multitude of assets, which it was a lot. And a lot of people thought they should have traded him. And they decided not to. Maybe they're like, all right, it's going to be an ugly contract negotiation and we'll just figure it out. Did Burns just come in asking for some crazy amount of money that they never expected? That's what I can't get past because if you and I could both see it, if it both, if it makes sense for us, Mm -hmm. yeah, Burns was always going to ask for something close to this level. You got to know that Nick Bosa is about to go through this contract negotiation. That that's the part that's tough for all of us. I think, especially for me to come to grips with, it's the fact that, we knew all of this was coming. Me, sports radio host, not dealing with all the money stuff that y'all are over at Bank of America Stadium. We could see this coming. And yet we're still here. It's very hard to make sense And you sense got a capologist in-house, Scott Fitterer, the GM. He knew Nick Bosa was a free agent. You don't think he knew 
Or did he not know what Nick Bosa was going to get? He had to know he was going to be in the neighborhood of 33 to 35. So you had to project and say, okay, this is what Bosa's going to get. This is probably what Brian's going to ask for. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, and the text line can do this too at 704-570-9610. Is this the first big-time contract negotiation that we've had? Like, big, big contract negotiation that we've had in the last few seasons? It's the first one I can think of. Yeah, McCaffrey was handed a big old contract, but that was still Herney. So Marty Herney was yeah. still doing that. So oh, so you're talking just under Fitterer. One yeah, that got contentious. Like, I think of, are you saying like of anybody? you saying recent memory? Yeah, I guess within the Fitterer yeah, era. Yeah, they got okay. contentious. Yeah, because Marty Herney gave Chris McCaffrey. But that wasn't even contentious. They were like, here, take it. Yeah. I mean, they got they got that contract handed out real quickly, like right now. And eventually it was bad with the whole running back conversation. But this one seems like... Well, well the, yeah, and because they haven't had a quarterback. So they haven't had, the, you know, like that's been the thing when you've had, you know, mid-QBs, you don't got to overpay them. Yeah. So... Which is more of an argument here. And I know you're if you're on doing the whole Burns north close to 30. But that's another point for people wanting to pay Burns. It's that you have the rookie QB on the rookie contract right yeah, now. Yeah, well, I mean, like, like, the thing is, like, with Bosa getting 30, well, he got 34, right, Wes? Yeah. We all know Mike is going to get more than he is. Like, if you get him at 28, you're still you're still not, I mean, you're technically still overpaying because he's not $28 million. Like, 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 the production doesn't warrant that. But you're still way below the threshold. Like, if you wait till after Parsons gets paid, oh, you're screwed. Because you're gonna have to at least probably give him at least at least bow some money bare minimum. So if we put a bow on this, for me, there still is that possibility that Burns and his representatives just were not moving off of their spot, right? We do have to give that some credence. It's harder for me to believe that if Carolina was staying steady at 25, if that was the case, but we don't know for sure. If Burns was staying strong at 30 or nothing. Yeah, man. I mean, Carolina, you think that maybe Burns and his party would have agreed to something just a mill or two below that 30 threshold. And if it's all about getting paid more than the next guy, because we do get a little too lost in numbers. The reason that these numbers matter, it's because it represents them being the second best edge rusher or being paid more than the next guy. It's not about real money. If these guys were, you know, getting if, if Nick Bosa was getting paid twenty four million and it was the richest contract, then Brian Burns would be paid twenty, right? So if you still give him twenty nine and he's tied for second best edge rusher money, hell, at that point maybe Burns and his party's being a little unreasonable, right? Like mm. if hey, we're here. Second best edge rusher. This is fair. Take it or we're going to have this thing go into the offseason. And if Burns holds steady, okay, I get where Carolina's coming from to a certain extent. But if you're sitting down there at 25, nah, man, you got to start coming up. And that's the problem that we're trying to figure out. It's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Weston Walker off and rolling. We'll go away from the Burns talk. Fire fizzle. It's coming up next. Gangsta movies. <laughs> Wes is about to rank them. <laughs> WFNZ Sports Radio 92.7 FM. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Word to 213, we keep it in gangster today. Fire Let's go. Wesson Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7, WFNZ. It's the staple. It's time. It's your favorite segment. We get a bunch of those texts on the text line whenever we go to Fire Fizzle. Okay. This time, Wes is rolling with gangster movies. He will declare them fire or he will declare them fizzle. We're going to start off. Hold up. We got to tell him the basis for this, too, because we were talking about Casino and you guys hadn't seen it yet. And then that's how we got on the topic. That was during the break. Um, a couple of days ago, we got on the topic of the gangster movies, Goodfellas, Godfather, Casino, a couple of those. Some of those are on the list. Some of them are not. But we're going to start off with something a little different than Goodfellas or Casino. Mm-hmm. We're going to start off with Menace to Society. <laughs> and just real quickly before you go, if you'll uh-huh. indulge me, this is a, do you remember the first time you saw this movie type of movie? Mm-hmm. And you can give me some of those movies on the text line too, 704-570-9610. You and I both have strong memories the first time we watched it because it is that oh my goodness did all of that just really happen mm-hmm. it is a lot so all of that said you tell me menace to society fire fizzle 1993 was the year an american teen drama film directed by the hughes brothers in their directorial debut set in watts in the crenshaw neighborhoods of los angeles follows the life of kane lawson and his close friends it gained notoriety for the violence, the profanities, drug-related content, of course, but it also had a message. And it also received critical acclaim for the performances of Tyron Turner, Jada Pinkett, Lorenz Tate, the direction and the realistic portrayal of urban violence and powerful underlying messages. I used to make some of my teammates crack up when I was in college imitating the scene. Remember when Charles Dutton, a.k.a. Rock, when he had Kane in the classroom and he told him he... He, he, he zoomed in on his face real yeah. tight. He put up and he said, the hunt is on and you are the prey. My teammates used to love when I used to do that. I but, like it uh, too. Yeah, this movie, when you talk about just the first time I saw it, jaw dropping to know that there were people who actually lived this way. Then at the end, the main character came dying in a drive-by Spoiler. over a fight about a girl that he had gotten pregnant and her cousin got that get back at the end. It was just really sobering to know, man, what living up, your life like that. Yeah, you can uh, lose your life. And so this movie uh, was just certainly a, a very hard-hitting movie when it dropped. So when you're talking about Menace to Society, Kane, Old Dog, America's Worst Nightmare, it is straight. Fire, don't ever front on Menace to Society, one of the GOATs. MC8 was spectacular in that movie. Spectacular. When he's driving, pulling up. AWACS. Al Green, love and happiness in the background ah. before they're about to go to the burger joint. MC8 is hilarious. It felt so real, man. That's the thing about that and Boys in the Hood. They felt so real. You felt like you were in the friend group with them. That movie is crazy. All right, let's go to the next one. Goodfellas. This is the one that really got us on this conversation because, and y'all can tell me if this is a hot take or not, Goodfellas, I feel like... Might be better than Godfather, despite it being like considered maybe the best movie of oh, all yeah, time. Oh, yeah, you're about to set it off. Ooh, Goodfellas yeah. is that good, but, but I, it's not my segment. Yes, yes. All right, so Goodfellas, 1990, an American 
biographical crime film directed by the great Martin Scorsese. And it was based off the book Wise Guy by Pelegi, starring Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, Lorraine Bracco, and Paul Sorvino. When you talk about gangster movies in the 90s, especially mafia, you cannot exclude any of these guys. It narrates the rise and fall of mob associate Henry Hill and his friends and family from 1955 to 1980, widely regarded as one of the greatest films ever. When you talk about the quotables, you're talking about Joe Pesci. You're talking about, I just had to give Joe Pesci sure. just his no, status it, it all of his own because he is a one-man wrecking crew uh, in this movie. And when you watch bio, biographies about this film, it's right on with what the movie showed you. They didn't really hide much. They they told it like it was. So all of the, the fabulous scenes in there, the Latanza heist. I mean, how many could we go remember the scene? One of my favorites is when they came in and he told them not to spend any money. And they came in there with all this new stuff. And he said, I told you, take it back. I don't care what you got to do. You take it back. Remember, he brought the man's wife in, took her fur coat off and said, I don't care where you got it from. You got to take it back. She said, I like this coat. He said, I don't care. You take this back. So when you talk about Goodfellas, you know where this is going. I know where this is going. It is straight. Fire. One of my favorites. If it's on TV, I'm watching it. It's 100% true. It's one of the more true statements you've ever said on Fire Fizzle. The best realization scene I've ever seen myself, it's when Joe Pesci realizes him being a made man ain't going to mean a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> Not no more, Joe. Put him in the bosom of Abraham, they did. <laughs> Not no more. <laughs> All right, next one. People are asking about this movie on the text line. Well, good for you folks. It's on the list. American Gangster. But he calls it a Denzel Washington vehicle. Yes. Tell me if that vehicle is fire or fizzle, Wes Bryant. Well, following the death of his employer, mentor Bumpy Johnson, Frank Lucas established himself as the number one importer of drugs in the Harlem district of Manhattan. Heroin, to be exact. <laughs> he does so buying it what about directly speed, Wes? from the southeast. He wasn't buying any spin. Okay. That's but right. as a result, his product is superior to what is currently available on the street and his prices are lower. His alliance with the New York Mafia ensures his position and protection. And it's also the story of a dedicated and honest policeman, Richie Roberts, who heads up a joint narcotics task force with the federal government based on a true story. However, Bumpy Johnson's wife, Mamie, not long after this movie came out, AllHipHop.com asked her, American Gangster's been out for a few weeks, and from all accounts, it's a good movie, but there are rumblings that it may not entirely be true, especially with regards to Frank's relationship with your husband. They asked, can she elaborate on it? And she said, yes, that is so true. Frank Lucas was never accepted in Bumpy's circle. And to me, it's just based on a lot of lies from what I've seen on BET and movie trailers. So listen, when you talk about Denzel, he's one of my favorites. Where do you think this is going? But then when Mamie Johnson came out and put that law down and said Hollywood is telling them lies, it's going to be straight. Fizzle, get it out of here. I don't believe it. Word to Mamie. A lot of people don't love American Gangster. I think so. And the text line likes it. I loved it until I found out it was just super sauced up, according to Mamie Johnson. Mm, Okay. Plus, Bumpy Johnson sounds like an STD. (laughs) 
<laughs> you probably wouldn't want to tell him that. Though. No, You'd probably, probably not. Sleeping with the fishes. I wouldn't be able to say that anymore. All right, moving on. <laughs> Casino. Still haven't seen it. Probably one of the bad movies that me nor Fiddy has ever seen. Yes. Is it Fire or Fizzle? Casino. Ninety-five. American epic crime feeling again, produced by or directed by the great Martin Scorsese, based on the 1995 nonfiction book Casino, Love and Honor in Las Vegas by Nicholas Pelleg, who also co-wrote the screenplay with Scorsese. You know the characters in this one, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci. That's all I really need to say. Yeah. Follow Sam Ace Rothstein, a Jewish-American gambling expert handicapper who is asked by the Chicago outfit to oversee the day-to-day casino and hotel operations at the Tangiers Casino in Las Vegas. Nikki Santoro, a.k.a. Joe Pesci, a made man and friend of Sam, Ginger Sharon Stone, a streetwise hustler, and it details Sam's operation at the casino, the difficulties he confronts in his job, the mafia's involvement with the casino, and the gradual breakdown of his relationships. And Joe Pesci, once again, was a one-man wrecking crew in this movie. The primary characters are based on real people. But when you talk about casino, it's long, folks. If you're going to watch it, Walker, I told you guys, if you're going to watch it, set mm-hmm. aside some time. But when it comes to what do I think about casino, another Scorsese Gangster film, it is straight fire. One of my all-time favorites. You know what Jay said too? Too much floss and too much Sam Rothstein. Yeah. Don't be too flashy out here. You're gonna get got. That's what Jay Z says. Last one. Scarface. Yeah. This is gonna be tough to go fizzle, but I'll leave it to you, Wes. Hit on a good one. How many quotables? Your boy was just being born. I don't even know if I was born yet in 1983 when this came out, but I came into the world with a classic. American crime drama film directed by Brian De Palma and written by Oliver Stone, loosely based on the 1929 novel of the same name and serving as a loose remake of the 1932 film. I didn't know about that until my mom told me about the fact that it was an old movie. Tells the story of Cuban refugee Tony Montana, man who arrived penniless in Miami during the Marielle boat lift and becomes a powerful drug lord. I don't need to say much besides that. You know the quotables in this movie. All of the merch. Good Lord, how many rappers in the world wanted to be Scarface? How many people in the world wanted to be Scarface? Not I. (laughs) Okay? We know how it ended. Your boy came through with the double barrel, and Tony ended up into the, uh, the, the fountain that he had at the bottom of his house, and it teaches you that greed will overcome us all among the many lessons in this movie. But when you talk about the quotables, you talk about the classic scenes. Whoever said you was a cop? What's a hasa? I mean, how many lines do you want to quote from this movie? Okay. Besides some of the, the, the all-time known ones. Scarface. Al Pacino. Absolutely. Straight. Fire. Maybe the greatest of all time. Tell him, Wes. Cut the music off. All right, let's go to the last hour of the show. That'll do it for Fire Fizzle. Stick around for Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.